everyone, welcome back to the Treehouse Lounge. Once again, it is I, your friend Mortimer Main, and we are going through the record collection today up here in the lounge as usual, making our way through all the records one album at a time per day, where I pick the most important or my favorite song and we listen to it and we talk about it. But before we talk about music, let's talk about the movie that we watched while we were setting up this morning. It was the 1967 classic The Graduate starring Dustin Hoffman and Anne Bancroft. Fantastic film. I'm sure a lot of you have seen it, but have you seen it recently? Because I would recommend that you go back and rewatch because it is still relevant. All those things that happened in the movie could still happen today. It's still a believable storyline today. I'm surprised they haven't remade it yet. The only thing that they'd probably have to change is the Dustin Hoffman character We're led to believe that he's still a virgin after graduating high school, or sorry, after graduating university, where he was a track star, he wrote on the newspaper, and he won some academic award. I'm like, okay, I don't really believe that this guy, you know, could have a four-year college career and still keep your virginity, but hey, it was the 60s, you know, I didn't live during that time, I don't know what went on during that Anyways, it's a beautiful film, great soundtrack. Simon and Garfunkel, Paul Simon did the whole thing, so check it out, The Graduate, if you haven't seen it, please. Okie dokie. Today, I pulled out a record of a band called The Business. This is a British punk band formed in 1979 in South London. We're going to talk about skinheads today. We're going to talk about racism in music. Well, not so much, but we're going to talk about what will I go on with the word skinhead. Before we can get into that, I just have to drop like two self-evident truths on us. We have to accept these truths if uh, any of the things that I'm going to talk about today are going to make sense to us. Number one is that racism is everywhere. We have to admit that that is true for sure. We have not yet evolved out of racism, human beings. Number two, hate is fear. All hate is based on fear, okay? So if you're looking at, you know, like uh, neo-Nazis hate groups or whatever um, that embrace the hate, it's because what they are fighting against scares them. They are afraid. They are big fucking scaredy cats at heart, okay? Racism is everywhere and hate is based in fear. Okay, now that we have that (laughs) established, we have broached the topic of punk and skinhead before. We talked about how the movement started off with a wave of Caribbean immigration into England after the Second World War. After doing some research today, it was it became clear to me that there were two skinhead movements uh, that really existed. The first one was this first wave of uh, through immigration, where you had a lot of young people mixing, you know, uh, black kids that were coming from Jamaica and white kids that had been born in London, became friends. Not all of them but some of them, and that's what we're going to be talking about. Something else I want to say, how do kids express themselves? And this is this has been true for years and years and still today. The clothes they wear, the hairstyles they don, and the music that they listen to. And a lot of times that's like, hey, I like this band, I'm going to wear their t-shirt. This is what I'm about. 
with this emergence of this new subculture, this working class movement, this first wave of skinhead, the music that defined the movement was reggae in the 1960s and then we saw later on in the, in the 70s that kind of bore out punk. So a large immigration wave happened. There was a lot of pushback, as we said. There was a lot of like protests from the, the British born on the island who were like, you know, we don't want these uh, Jamaican people here. There's a lot of racism. Racism is something that is learned, right? And if it's learned, it is taught. So, you know, parents of younger kids, you know, may not have appreciated the, uh, the Caribbean immigration wave, but the youth always see past that shit right especially for people who will become punks later on they see past the uh backward old thinking of of previous generations now the best example i can have of this is when i was growing up i had a group of starting in like grade two i had a core group of four best friends three of them were white males with you know christian parents who profess to be christian and then the fourth was my friend stefan whose both parents were born in trinidad uh, stefan was born here but they were brown skin hindus who you know listened to different music ate different food our houses smelled different but we had a lot more in common than we had, you know, not in common. And that's why we became friends. And I think that's what happened uh, with, with the original skinhead youth movement. So this group got together, they took their reggae sounds, they took their rock and roll, and they made punk. And th that was all good. Eventually, these people who were part of this movies in the 60s, they grew up. They stopped wearing the Doc Martens, the Fred Perry, the braces. You know, as, as most people do as they get older, I know for a fact that, uh, you know, adults, they stop buying music. Why did my mom, she started this record collection, she's got all these records, but then, you know... All of a sudden, if it was buying an album every two weeks, you know, my mom probably hasn't bought an album in, I don't know, 10 years. You just slow down with that stuff. You grow out of it, right? And a lot of, that's what a lot of these early skinheads were saying. Uh, black people, white people just kind of grew out of it. Uh, and then that was that for the first wave. So the second wave started about 10 years later. So uh, the early 80s, the, the late 70s, early 80s. This time, political influences and economic circumstances had a major influence on those who were still wearing the skinhead uniform. And basically, the, the group split into racist and non-racist factions. And then by the 1990s, we saw neo-Nazi movements all across Europe and North America. So only another short 10 years later after this kind of schism happened. So most North Americans, in my opinion, still would only associate the word skinhead uh, to that look and uniform that is uh, still worn by Nazis, but it wasn't all Nazis, okay? So it's it's just painting a picture of all skinheads with that Nazi brush, which is the reason that I'm talking about this today. Because I'm here to, to defend the non-racist skinheads. 
okay? Or, or try to do my best to explain the differences and to highlight how the media and societies in general have basically been sold one opinion on what is skinhead. Okay, so a lot of my information uh, comes from documentaries that I've watched or books that I've read. There's this guy named Don Letts who has a documentary called The History of Skinhead uh, that the BBC came out with a couple years ago, which is really informative because this guy was there. This guy was born to Jamaican parents uh, in the UK and you know he he saw a lot of uh, what was happening and he was there with the style and um, participated in that first youth movement but then right around the the 80s with margaret thatcher and and like you know joblessness in the uk and the riots that were happening in the streets a lot of them racially fueled punk had hit the scene so we're talking fast aggressive loud protesting lyrics protesting against the status quo against authority a young male movement okay full of piss and vinegar so this music was a great way for these youths to express themselves and get out their aggression unfortunately a lot of times that came with actual fights because as the as the skinhead schism happened, you actually saw the, the uniform begin to evolve. So the racist skinheads like to identify themselves with maybe white laces in their boots, thicker suspenders, of course, uh, white power t-shirts and stuff like that. But also they started shaving their heads much closer than the 60s skinheads who would maybe, you know, shave their head out of two or three. The, these racist skinheads to be identified, to try to identify themselves, um, even amongst themselves, was was a much closer haircut. The non-racist skinheads, or some of them, formed a group called Sharp Skins, Skinheads Against Racial Prejudice, would not have their hair cut that close. They would wear thinner suspenders, and every time they saw each other at shows, they would fight because they would show up to the same shows because they liked the same music. If the music was apolitical, it would could be embraced by the Nazi skinheads who just whatever appreciated the uh, the loudness and the aggression and the opportunity just to show up to a place where there's a lot of other young men that you can fight with, you know. At the same time, for racist and non-racist skins, the music had also evolved. A new subgenre of punk called oi came to prominence now we'll talk about oi for a bit here because the business this band that we're going to listen to their song today they were known as an oi band oi in england actually just means hey like hey you over there oi you let me get your attention but what was also happening was the rise of soccer hooliganism a lot of the a lot of the skinheads racist or not also supported a soccer team so then they go out to these matches and they'd have big fights too so a lot of the oi 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 came from uh supporters and the fans with their soccer team and it was a way for the whole group to get together and you know like sing in unison demonstrating their power and whatnot I remember first hearing oys in obviously non-racist uh, bands like Rancid and No Effects that I was really into when I was a teen, and it was like a symbol of, yeah, like we're all in this together. Fun fact, one of my good friends in, I guess it was 2003, was in a punk band in Winnipeg, and he said to me one time, Morty, 
One of the guys in the band wants to uh, start writing some more oi songs with oi lyrics. Like, what, what does that really mean? Do you know what that means? Is that racist? And I said to him, you know, because I had actually been to the UK, this was before you could just look something up on the internet, I was like, as far as I know, <laughs> oi just means hey. So oi 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 is hey hey hey, you know, which is in a lot of songs too, right? So I don't know whatever came of that conversation, but the point is that a lot of people... We were listening to punk music, but we didn't even know what oi meant. We didn't know if it was some German word that meant something that, you know, we didn't know about. So that was kind of like indicative of the confusion that even existed in the UK between the racists and the non-racists because a lot of these kids, like, geez, they don't fucking know anything anyways, right? They've never been anywhere. They've never done any studying. In fact... The, the bassist from the business, this guy named Steve Kent, said that Oi formed uh, as, a, as a new genre to solidify the working class punks and to kind of rebel against the uh, art school uh, punks that some viewed were, were trying to co-opt the movement for the fashion. The, quote, trendy university people using long words, trying to be artistic and losing touch. So it was a reaction to the, I don't know, degradation of, of the working class roots of the movement. So the business, because of, by virtue of the style of music that we're playing, were pigeonholed as being a racist oi band. And that's something that they had to deal with. And I think it actually broke up the band because they, they, uh, they didn't really exist after 1981. And I think that was the year that there was a major race riot in the UK and these guys uh, being anti-racist as they were, I think just got tired with the whole thing and, you know, didn't even want to have to defend themselves against like being uh, presumed racist. Anyways, they went on a tour, just to kind of sum it all up with these guys, they went on a tour called Oi Against Racism and Political Extremism but still against the system tour. Okay, so it's like, well, there it is. Now, the song we're gonna be listening today that the business is gonna be giving us is a cover. It is a Harry Belafonte cover. It is Deo. So how about that? Just to take it one level deeper, this is uh, an all-white band which many at the time that this was recorded assumed were a racist band. And here they are coming out doing a cover as one of the most beloved Calypso songs of all time. You know, obvious in obvious homage to Harry Belafonte, a black man, an American. Marshall McLuhan said, the medium is the message. Most times the message from music we listen to comes from the lyrics. But this time it is by pure fact that if the business were racist, why would they ever pay homage to a black man and, and the art that he produced, okay? So the message itself is unity, anti-racism. Let's listen to the song. Let's listen to their version. Here's the business doing Deo. One, two, three, four. Deo! Daylight come and me wanna go home 
So there you have it. Man, have I ever done a lot of talking this episode. <laughs> okay, just a couple more things though. This record, The Business, official bootleg, 1980 to 81, was definitely a Carol record. It came in with the Carol collection. She hasn't written her name on it, but I guarantee you Carol bought this record. Last thing I want to say, talking about the lyrics to Deo, have you ever seen a black tarantula in real life? I have, because when I was 14, my first job was working at a grocery store and we'd have to put out the bananas that came in big boxes. And one day there was uh, the body the shriveled up body of a pretty big like fist sized black tarantula that came in with the bananas and scared the shit out of us but we had some fun with it by putting in the shrink wrapper and when the uh, shrink wrapper in the meat department sucked out all the air of the bag the spider's leg shot out as if it had just come alive and it scared the shit out of us even more and the crazy thing was um my friend matt who'd worked there before me that was the second tarantula he'd seen in like his two-year career and he said the first time the tarantula was actually alive <laughs> but it was all like woozy and messed up because of the gas that they put uh, in the bags that hold the bananas as they transit where they actually ripen. So whatever gas that is, I guess, had knocked out the tarantula. And uh, I guess they just killed that one. I don't know, that was before my time. Anyways, I like spiders. Spiders are cool. Nothing to be scared of, right? I definitely don't hate them. <laughs> Yo, okay, I need a drink, man. Uh, you probably do too. Hope you learned something today, kids. That is the point. We talk about music, but music is culture. Culture is people. And, you know, let's learn all we can. All right, baby, each one teach one. I will be back same time. See you tomorrow. Peace.